Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Hi, and welcome to Brand New from the iHeart Podcast Network and Brand New Labs. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Pereira. Happy to be back in L.A. Oh, well, so how was your trip to Mexico? Mexico, mi Mexico, Mexico. lindo y querido. <laughs> Mexico City is amazing. If any listener has not been there, please go. I mean, the food, obviously the culture, but this was special. It was a kind of a hybrid work trip where, you know, we're doing stuff for tripas. But at the same time, I was able to bring my family, Marissa. So really trying to integrate both the personal and professional. So my wife, Nuria, who's amazing, and my two awesome kids, Sebastian mm. and Sienna, came. You have a great family. It's that kind of prioritization, right? I want to make sure that my kids get to see what I do, that they're able to travel the world, be citizens of the world, tiny travelers, if you will. But yeah, it was great. What about you? What's going on? Well, I love that you did that. We talked about that last time. Mm -hmm. The importance in our crazy work lives of integrating and bringing kids along was something I feel so strongly about. I did just take a trip myself. This time I brought the hubby. I brought David, but no kids along on this one. I was at an industry board meeting, one of the boards I'm on. It's the MMA Global, which is a, one of the big industry groups that I think is really strong because it's all about yeah, it's a great org. The changes that are happening in marketing. Yeah, it's really good. And really having a learning agenda and a research agenda. So that's really powerful. And then it was followed by their CEO and CMO summit. So it was in Northern California. It's got to get you back to California. <sighs> that's the universe saying, come back to Cali. I realized I hadn't been in Northern California in a while. So <laughs> it was nice to be there. Of course, the best part is just being reconnected with our peers in our industry. I and mean, living in Charlotte right now, it's not a bastion of our industry. So that sense of camaraderie and real person connection is just an unbelievable source of energy for me. But the learning part was great too. What'd you learn? Well, there was a lot. And some of it was presented both within our board meeting and then also talked about on the stage and the summit. Lots of different projects that are trying to really get at these key, key issues that we face as marketers and in this broader world of team, the way we've been talking about. So, of course, very inclusive of technology, for sure. Advertising, media, marketing, maybe a little less on the entertainment side, but some. For me, the one that really stuck out is this big piece of research that's really trying to corroborate this idea of brand as performance. And I got to explain, like, so what does that mean? Yeah, please. What's the difference? Okay. So for anyone who isn't a marketer listening, let me tell you what we've done to ourselves. That's, uh, and I say done to ourselves because it feels a little self-inflicted, is we call a part of marketing performance, which is 
really, really bad branding and we're supposed to be good branding. (laughs) And what it means is the parts that you think of as further along the purchase journey. Sometimes we call this the low funnel part. So if I am searching for something in Google and then I see the ad for what I'm searching for and I click on that ad and I buy, it looks really, really good in terms of how that ad performed. So we think of that. Well, that ad did everything, right? There was nothing else involved. (laughs) Would that be last touch attribution? Therein lies the problem. (laughs) Right. We give that the credit for all the heavy lifting and that's not how our brains work and our minds and our hearts work. And so then you have something that must be on the other side of performance and we've put brand on the other side. And if you call something the opposite of performance, what are you essentially implying? That it's not performance. This is a very, very, very bad structure we've created. So first of all, we've got to reframe this whole thing as an industry. feel so passionately about that because brand is not a bad word. Brand is a really good word. We buy brands. We connect to brands. We badger ourselves with brands. And even what we call brand marketing is some of the most effective marketing that there can be. We just haven't had the right measurement in all cases. This was a big, heavy piece of research, and I wish we could all just snap our fingers and replicate it. But boy, did it show what you'd expect, that some of the kind of marketing that we have maybe not been as committed to in Mm -hmm. certain, shall we say, industries where there's just pressure to get to that bottom line so fast, we're seeing the longer term effects. And it's not like long, long term, just not immediate term, like call it midterm or That is where the value creation comes from. The irony is for a group of marketers, we do a really bad job of marketing all the wonderful things that we do. Mm -hmm. We very purposely called our podcast brand new, right? And for me, you know, I've always loved brands. I mean, a brand, you know, it's a person's perception of a product, a service, an experience, an organization, a company. It's it is all about brand. When you talk to a CEO, guess what? They care about their brand, right? You always read in the Wall Street Journal, you know, the brand took a hit. I mean, obviously, right. when a brand makes a mistake, you know, it, it actually damages the company. You lose sales. So brands are paramount. I almost feel like marketing is really a tactic that ladders up. I mean, you were a chief brand officer, right? So, I mean, for me, it really is all about brand, but we have to figure out a way to kind of get out of this brand versus performance. It's a false dichotomy. Can I tell you something? I've had the titles of chief marketing officer, chief brand officer when that was considered a promotion, inclusive of marketing. I've had a title that Mm -hmm. was chief brand and marketing officer to try to delineate (laughs) the two or say that they both matter. I guess I prefer that interpretation. I've had brand not in the title. It's it's just, I don't know. I don't know what that all means about how variable the definitions are. If we're just, I've tried not to think too much about it, but when the rubber meets the road in the work, it matters. It really, really yeah. matters. And no, it really does it. Stephen, I would just add that there's such short-termism in industry right now. And whether you're in an upstart company that has to quickly show growth or whether in a public company that has the pressure of those quarterly earnings. And boy, oh boy, those are intense. I mean, how do we get out of this mindset of not just measuring the ease? Well, you could just do it all in 90 days, right? That's all you need to actually turn around the company, turn around a brand. I mean, look, this whole idea of being short-term it actually permeates every aspect of society. Mm. I feel like our attention spans continue to dwindle. But the reality is, as a public company, there's a whole movement actually to get out of the quarterly reporting, right? Because the whole idea of you really being able to move the needle 
it's really harmful to a company. And there's actually a handful of tech companies where the founders actually have dual class share structures where they're, you know, kind of hmm. A shares, they actually have the super voting rights. So they actually control the company. And then the B shares are the ones that, you know, investors in the public markets can buy. But they're the ones that actually set the terms and they could say, yeah, you know what, we're not going to give guidance or we're going to focus on the long term. We have a 10 year vision that is very few and far between. But the whole idea of having this short term focus, it actually it's harmful to both brands as well as businesses. Wasn't that cool last episode when we had Justin Smith, the CEO of Semaphore on and he was talking about almost the universal commitment between their staff, their leadership team, and their investors all locking arms and saying, this is a 10-year journey. That blew me away because yep. it's just not, patience is not a virtue and it should be in business, but it's tough because we all are pressured against deliver tomorrow, deliver tomorrow, deliver today. And sometimes that's achievable, but sometimes the things that will really turn a company around, I mean, we're not going to get into the whole, because it's it's had its moment already, the whole Barbie thing. But, yeah. but I think we should acknowledge that that didn't happen overnight either. I was talking to an industry friend who said, hey, I was part of planting those seeds eight years ago. Maybe he said even longer. I actually think he did. Maybe he said it was something like twice that. So, you know, we just forget that. The, you know, the old, it took took me years to be an overnight success. There's a little bit of that. It's what missing in the way we talk about what works in marketing and that brand is a part of that. And it's not fluff and it's not extraneous and it's not a nice to do. It's actually fundamental. And what I appreciate about the MMA is we're just trying to find the tools and the measurement to substantiate that because that's the missing link. But what you were talking about is truly learning. And I think this is exactly what we want to get into. So up next is going to be our hot topic. Stay tuned. And we're back, ready to talk about the hot topic for this episode. So Marissa, it's back to school time. I think in LA next week, folks are getting ready to get back to school. I know my kids are going back at the end of August. But for marketers, back to school is almost like a time period that you put on the calendar. I would love to take it in a different direction. How are we learning? How do we as marketers, as executives, as professionals, how are we going back to school? It's something that I'm very passionate about because I believe in being a lifelong learner. Certainly coming out of your MMA Global Summit, how are you thinking about this idea of lifelong learning and what are you doing to always keep on learning? I love that we're spitting back to school this way. I do. Because when you grow up in school, it's a dichotomy. You're a teacher or you're a student. Mm -hmm. It's this one-way exchange of learning. And of course, what we've realized as adults, more so now than ever in the professional world, is it's a virtuous cycle that continues. And I think that is a really interesting reminder for everyone that no matter how far advanced we get in our careers, and you and I are somewhat advanced in our careers at this point. Yeah, I've got some of the grace to prove it, so. <laughs> Same, my friend, that you are still a student. You have to continuously be learning, and then you're teaching, and then you're learning. And that idea of it being continuous is really, really important because our world is changing so much. So there's absolutely no way to survive and thrive if you're going to be static about it. It's intimidating, though, because there's so much to figure out. 
I hearken back to my days when I started at the Estee Lauder company, and I was very intimidated to take on a role that was supposed to teach the organization about how to move into what was then kind of the early days of digital and social marketing so early that when I started, it wasn't even yet called social media, just to put a bit of a timestamp on it. And what I realized is that was going to be my process, that I didn't have to have years of historic knowledge on it because it didn't even have years of historic knowledge. It was just about taking it in, trying to do my best to parse it. And what does it mean? How do you interpret it for your company was the important part. So that idea of being student teacher, that constant cycle, I think really hit me hard then. And I've tried to take that with me specifically as I've moved different industries. Of course, I've had to learn the industries, figure it out. So I'm going to throw it now over to you. Okay. Sounds great, but there's so much out there. Yeah. How do you do it? Who are you learning from? For me, I truly believe in the quote, never stop learning because life never stops teaching. I just feel that I've always been this kind of learn it all approach versus this know it all. I think it's really important to distinguish those two. Mm -hmm. And that starts from my upbringing. My parents were teachers. I feel like in a Latino household, you're always taught that education is the one thing they can never take away from you. And so just really understanding how to be passionately curious. And also for me, it was the it was the kind of thing where I had to learn on my own because my parents didn't really know the educational system or they didn't really know about these industries. So I really felt like I was almost in like the Sims video game where it was all dark and I was just trying to like, you know, go into a new corner of the world and learn about it. So I was just always voracious. I mean, obviously there was no internet when, when we were growing up, but just trying to understand about industries. And I think that's part of the reason why I was always interested in just kind of trying to understand all these different angles to what is ultimately where we are today. You know, I worked a bit in finance. I worked a bit in technology and advertising. Again, all the team industries that we talk about. But for me, I feel like my learning approach has also been, you know, kind of segmented across those different buckets. I feel like there's organizations that are news organizations that you're going to trust their information. So whether it's the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, you know, I, I do that for like my business information. Then there's like world events. There's certainly things like Semaphore or The Economist. You know, I read obviously a lot about technology. So I love the information or, you know, The Verge, TechCrunch. But then I've also curated individuals. And I feel like that is where we're going. This whole idea of fragmentation in media. You've also had fragmentation in education. And I feel like where people are learning are from subject matter experts. So I think about everything that's happening, you know, kind of in Web3. You know, no, it's not dead. It's just evolving. But I read a lot from Chris Dixon, who's a partner at Andreessen Horowitz, right? I really try to seek out folks that are either the practitioners, the operators that are doing the work so they could actually help teach me something about that area, that discipline. But how are you approaching kind of different folks that you learn from? I think the hard part of articulating it is it's not so conscious and deliberate anymore. There are definitely outlets that I rely on, some of which you named in terms of general news publishers, industry publishers like an ad week and ad age of Forbes, Fast Company for me that I subscribe to doesn't mean every time I open, I get their email, I open it because I'm so time starved, but I look there for headlines. And if I see something important, I think those come to me in a very choiceful way. But the rest is 
way more ambient right now. It's about Mm-hmm. Who do I follow that I think is interesting, what they're curating? And oftentimes, a lot of that learning is coming through my LinkedIn newsfeed or maybe even some other social channels feeds based on who I follow and what they post. And so there's that curating the curated mm-hmm. and cherry picking from that what strikes my interest, which means it's not organized for me. And there's something both really great and really challenging about that in terms of making sure that I'm getting to what I really need to know, particularly through the lens of learning for my job and for my industry and how to make us better. So it is a blessing and a curse. There's so much that you're relying on different ways of getting to it. But there are lots of people that I learn from and that I trust, just like you named a couple. And also some of them are are not deep reads. They're more just thoughts that inspire me, like Adam Grant, the famous Wharton professor who, mm-hmm. I mean, he's really done a great job just distilling these thought starters into sound bites that he posts on multiple channels. And sometimes they have a great piece of data. So sometimes it's not about a deep read. Sometimes it's just about learning through how someone provokes your thinking. And other times it's like, okay, who's going to really teach me about a new topic like AI? Because everyone's pontificating about it and it's overwhelming. And it's now 10 o'clock at night and I just stopped working or you know started to do something else. Yeah, now, now this is night school. Well, right? that's the problem. That's the problem. And I want to yeah. talk about that because I think we should address what keeps people from learning. Yeah. Well, first off, you're, you're, you're hitting on something which is really important because I feel that what keeps people from learning is both personal and kind of structural, right? I mean, on the one hand, you have to not be afraid to put yourself out there. I remember when I was at Publicis and I had lots of, you know, kind of Fortune 100 CMOs, they would bring me into their office behind closed doors and they would say, I don't understand data. Can you teach me? Right. And you know, I was like the data guy, so really helping folks get out of their comfort zone, but there was this fear of looking dumb in front of their teams. For any listener that's hearing this, if you're kind of early in your career or mid-level, the boss doesn't necessarily know everything. There is this level of almost imposter syndrome as you see all these new technologies come out. They don't know. So back to that learn-it-all culture, you see a lot of folks wanting to learn these things. And you have to have the courage to say, hey, I don't know. And the truth of the matter is, as you get more senior in your career, as you get into the C-suite, you are not going to be able to be the subject matter expert. You become more of a general manager. So you need to have experts on your team or partners like agencies or you know other companies that are going to help you learn these things. But I think the other thing that prevents people from learning is actually structural. It's actually the companies. You know, They don't give you the ability because of back to short-termism, you're not going to be able to learn these things. And by the way, AI is just the flavor of maybe not the month, maybe it's the decade, but the reality is there's always going to be something new. I mean, back in the day, you had to learn mobile, right? You were learning and helping everyone learn about digital. And so there's always going to be something new, but back to the structural environment, how does your company become a learning organization? And the truth of the matter is most folks aren't instilling the ability for your team, your company, your leaders to keep on learning. Look, that is so true. And as much as sometimes companies talk the talk, will they walk the walk in terms of prioritizing that when there's so much pressure on the business and lots of businesses have lots of pressure? So how do we not make that a luxury, but see that as the same kind of investment, almost like what you're talking about in brand, come to think of it. I'll just say one more thing on this, which is a bit of a call to action to those out there who are the teachers in our industry 
and the pundits and the writers is in a world of clickbait that we mock, don't give into it in terms of fear mongering and make it overwhelmingly daunting for people to jump in and learn. I mean, these complicated topics need voices that are in some ways helpful, reassuring, parting the clouds, not putting uh, you in this place of, if you don't do this, you're already behind, or you're probably already defined. I mean, I feel mm-hmm. like there are a lot of those headlines and you see that and your brain starts to shut down because you think, how am I supposed to take that on, on top of everything else? So I think if we are going to continue to be the supportive industry that we are, it needs the both the inside and the outside voices to recognize that we need to be not just a learning culture, but a supportive learning culture because it's hard. There's a lot. Just to double click on the supportive learning culture, I think that is one of the best things about this industry. Mm -hmm. Anyone that's listening, I'd really encourage you to be truly candid about where do you find a nurturing environment? Where do you find an industry that helps build you up, not tear you down? And it took a while for me to find this industry, again, what we affectionately call as, as team, but when I started in finance, I didn't find that the most uh, nurturing <laughs> environment. It was not really a learning environment. It took a while for me to find, you know, this as home. But I feel like, you know, certainly there's trade rags and kind of news organizations. There's subject matter experts. But I also feel like we learn from our community. You were just at the MMA learning from your peers. And I think that is one of the best things about what we have in this industry where we are always trying to help each other out, you know, to the point where, you know, now that I'm in more of the entertainment side of the business, a lot of folks here in LA and Hollywood, they're always fascinating. At, wow, you guys really like each other. You you spend a lot of time together. <laughs> You're always talking to each other. And I'm like, yeah, we like each other. Like, yeah, we, we don't really like each other that much. It's more uh, uh, it's more cutthroat, more zero sum. Let me tell you something. That is so true. I was talking to a CEO who came as a guest to this conference, and it was like watching an anthropologist <laughs> in a new environment surveying the landscape. And I'm standing with him on the buffet line, and he turns to me and he says, this industry is very supportive, isn't it? And I said, yes, it's actually one of the things that I love and cherish most is I feel a genuine sense of camaraderie and the learning to the theme of our hot topic comes from genuine conversation with each other. And he said, I don't feel like other sectors of business have this. And I said, I know. And so it is really one of the things for all of the difficulties and hardships, maybe because of it. There are two ways it could have gone. Like you said, it could be all knives out. And for some reason, some very magical special reason, more often than not, this marketing, media, advertising, publishing community tends to, when you get within it, really immersed in it, and you commit yourself to it like you and I have, there's a lot to be gained from those relationships. And a big part of that is making sure that we continue to really help each other, but also learn from each other. So in that spirit, we like to make sure that we're learning about what's on your minds and trying to answer those questions too. So that's what's up next. Well, we're back with what's on your mind. And we always want to hear from you. So do let us know what you're wondering about, want us to answer. Just shoot us a question at ideas at brand-new.com. Right. And this week's question is from Rocco in New York City. 
great new podcast. You both have such different career trajectories and different CMO experiences. Can you talk a little bit about the differences between big brand CMO roles and B2B CMO roles and provide advice, tips, and tricks for aspiring B2B CMOs? Appreciate the show. Thanks for doing it. Oh, thanks, Rocco. Hmm, Marissa, what do, what do you think as a big brand CMO, what do you think has been the difference between that B2C and B2B role? It's a really interesting question. I just want to make sure I'm defining it. So B2B means business to business, B2C, business to consumer. I've been primarily on the really the big, as you said, B2C, brand to consumer, business to consumer side. And the way that I think about this, admittedly not having spent as much time on one as the other, is there are the differences and the nuances of the businesses themselves. And hey, that's been true for me having gone across different industries. But at the end of the day, the way I think about it and the way I've talked to teams about this is you're always trying to connect with and be successful with an audience. And guess what? That audience is made up of people. And as much as the goals, needs, et cetera, may be different, we're wired as humans. We want things. We need things. What does success look like? It's funny. I was having a conversation just the other day with my communications team, like the PR team. And I was trying to remind them mm -hmm. that they're marketers, in a sense, they're B2B marketers because they have to motivate journalists and other media. And so I said, think of yourself as targeting an audience like other forms of marketing do. That's exactly right. Imagine with empathy what they're up against, time pressures, lots of press releases in their inboxes. So how are you going to reach them in a way that makes their life easier, makes them do their job better? That's actually an example of B2B marketing, just not normally framed that way. So for me, that's the way to frame it, Rocco, and anyone else who had this question is, at the end of the day, reduce it to what's essential, which is that we're talking about humans. Yeah, I mean, I would uh, maybe disagree a little bit with how you set it up, but I think we end up in the same place where okay. I, I really don't think, <laughs> I don't think there's a difference between B2B and B2C. Yeah. I've always spoken about it as H to H, human to human. Oh, that's better. That's better. I admit it. But the reality is, you know, these are just kind of very anachronistic in a digital world. Ultimately, these constructs don't really make sense because at the end of the day, it's always going to be a person, whether you are in the security industry, right, or the tech industry, you're still selling to a chief security officer or, you know, a CISO, whether you're selling to a CFO and you're doing financial services software, whatever it is, you ultimately need to understand what motivates them and how do you connect with them. Again, the brand matters, ultimately your value proposition, but understanding all those human levers and what you're going to pull to kind of really connect, whether it's a pain sale, whether it's a pleasure sale, you really need to understand how to stand in the shoes and the pain of your customer, whoever it is in whatever industry it is. And so for me, it's almost this construct that it's a false dichotomy. There really is no difference between those. And again, how you get there, I mean, I've been a B2B marketer at places like Datalogix and Oracle Data Cloud and Newstar, but I've also done B2C as well, even with my own startup. So again, what you said about understanding the audience is critical and how you get there, I think even more so in this day and age, you need to understand audience first. 
So that was a great question from one of our listeners. I love our listeners, Marissa. It just shows the importance of continuous learning, lifelong learning. And if you like this content, please don't forget to follow us at the brand new podcast wherever you listen to your podcast so you never miss an episode. We want to hear from you. So let us know what you're wondering about. You can just email us your questions at ideas at brand-new.com or drop us a question wherever you find us on social. Leave a rating, leave a comment on Apple Podcasts. Tell us how much you like the content that helps spread the word, feeds the algorithm. And until next time, let's make it brand new.